We know that building and running a company is hard work and that its success requires great leadership. Because we believe people can achieve incredible things, we want to shine a light on those people who are improving their organizations. Join us as Core Talent's Laura King invites presidents, CEOs, and executives to share their stories on how they have transformed their business and implemented unique strategies to ensure its success. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. Here's your host, Laura King. Welcome to Core Talent Connects. I am here today with Luke Carlson. Luke Carlson is the founder and CEO of Discover Strength, located right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Discover Strength's five personal training studios are amongst the highest volume and revenue training facilities in North America. Luke speaks all over the world on leadership, management, and evidence-based exercise. Luke is an American College of Sports Medicine Certified Exercise Physiologist. Wow, that's a mouthful. And he has a bachelor's and master's in kinesiology from the University of Minnesota and graduated from the Executive Leadership Strategy and Innovation Program at Stanford. I'm going to, I could go on and on and on, Luke, because you do so much. Um, but I want to ha- kind of have you tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and the story of how Discover Strength came to be. Well, it's my pleasure to join you today, Laura. So thank you so much for for having me. Uh, Discover Strength, like you said, just a small chain of boutique training studios. And we're coming up, actually, this Friday will be our 14th uh, anniversary. So we started with one studio, May 2006, and we've added studios since. And I just left the construction site earlier this morning on what will be our sixth studio in the Twin Cities. Um, so we currently have five plans for the sixth and we spent the last year and a half building a franchise company. And so now we'll start selling franchises just literally in the next few weeks as well. So the, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal for us now is to grow to a hundred locations by the end of 2025. So that's where we're focused. The movement that you've started, and I want you to kind of speak to this and then we'll get into, um, to some other other areas that I want to cover with you, but talk to us about, you know, this evidence-based um, strength training program that you've, you've really uh, started because there's still a lot of, I think, mis, I don't know, misguided information about, you know, oh, well, if I lift weights, I'm going to get all bulky. And so tell us a little bit more about how, how that really is um, kind of shaped the uh, the, the route of, of the organization. Yeah, of course. So, so I can remember Laura vividly uh, being 20 years old, sitting in a class undergraduate course at the School of Kinesiology at the University of Minnesota. I was in Cook Hall. There's no air condition in that, that building. At the time, there wasn't. This is the year 2000. And there's like sweat dripping off my nose, probably onto my notebook. And I can remember in that moment thinking, wow, I just love learning about exercise physiology or biomechanics or um, one of those disciplines of kinesiology. I love it all, 
But I realized in that moment that we're not studying this in a vacuum. Like we wouldn't study exercise physiology or biomechanics or motor control in a vacuum. It only mattered. It was only meaningful if it actually trickled down and impacted how someone exercised. And I also realized that very few people exercised in a really intelligent way. So there was a gap between what the science, what the academic scientific literature understood or was uncovering. Mm -hmm. There's a gap between that and what humans were actually doing when they worked out. And so I said, well, what I want to do is I'm going to spend the rest of my career bridging the gap between what the science is uncovering and what humans are actually doing. Because I'm passionate about working out from the time I was, I don't know, eight or nine years old. I mean, I've just loved exercise. I, you know, followed my dad who was a police officer and in Shakopee growing up and I would follow him to the police station and there was a, a big gym there and I'd watch him work out and I was all about it. I was into it from, you know, as young as I can remember, I've been passionate about working out my entire life. But like I said, as I went through the undergraduate program and eventually graduate school, I realized, my goodness. We know so much about exercise. There's so much research to support what exercise can actually do and what exercise can't do and how we go about receiving those benefits. And that information has just not reached the average exerciser. What I love to say is we live in a society where people are generally pro-exercise. I meet people every day that love exercise. I meet people that have made their millions in the field of exercise, meaning they own health clubs somewhere in the world. But I meet very few people. I've met very few people that know what the actual benefits of exercise are and how to go uh, how to go about receiving them. So it's fascinating that we are pro exercise. We're just confused about how to do it and what we should actually expect from it. And there is no correlation between how much you like exercise and whether or not you know anything about it or the benefits of it, which is just fascinating. So who do we generally learn about exercise from? People who are passionate about exercise. They like to exercise, but that doesn't mean they actually know what the benefits are and um, how to go about receiving those benefits. And that's a little bit of a controversial statement, but it's just really well supported by the literature. So that's the kind of impetus for Discover Strength. Oh, and that's that's right on. Because yes, you, you can have someone who's super passionate about something, but what's their background? Have they Are they a researcher? <laughs> Yeah. Right. And then, and what is, is very clear um, that, that you speak about and have really been vocal about over the last couple months is in, especially right now, how this can boost your immune system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's just so many benefits of exercise that no one ever talks about. You know, I, I've spent so many years talking about exercise to people and they talk about things like, yeah, I would love to lose the last five pounds but they're completely unaware of more profound benefits that really no one talks about. And I like to go back to really late 1980s. Stephen Covey writes his seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And his seventh habit was called Sharpen the Saw. It's the principle of balanced self-renewal or self-improvement. The idea that you have to build some mechanisms into your life to improve yourself as an instrument so that when you throw yourself into work or your family or your community, you're that much more valuable. Well, he says, if there's one saw sharpening mechanism that we should all be committed to, it's exercise. And when Covey wrote that, I mean, 1988, when he writes it, he had no idea how right 
he was going to be. And I say this all the time, man, if Covey were with us today in 2020, he died about five, six years ago, I would say, Dr. Covey, I love this book, but you have to rewrite this section of the book because you actually dramatically understated the value of exercise as a saw sharpening mechanism. And how often, Laura, does the author or the pundit or the speaker understate the value of whatever he or she is espousing? And Covey did that. He understated the value of exercise as a saw sharpening mechanism. I mean, the the benefits of exercise are more robust than he could have ever predicted. So if Luke, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions or billions, and this could be a few words or a paragraph, what would it say? Yeah, what a great question. That's a very, a very uh, Tim Ferriss-esque uh-huh. question. I stole it I from Tim. It. Mm-hmm. I read it. Ray Dalio says, raise your prices, is what he would put on the, the billboard. Um, for me, if we're purely going to talk about, if we're purely going to talk about exercise, I would say it's something along, along the lines of exercise, hard, brief, and infrequent. And most people make the mistake in all three of those areas. They're really not exercising hard enough, whether it's cardio or strength training. Their workouts are far too long and they work out far too often. Really, the evidence would say we should work out hard, brief, and infrequent. And I just don't think that's a message that we've heard. That's a pretty simple formula. By the way, that's a formula that fits, it's palatable for a busy person's life. I mean, the number one barrier to exercise not just in the U.S., but across Europe, we, we say, what? It's time. I don't have the time. Well, the research says very clearly, if you want to get in great shape, you should not be working out very much. I mean, it is hard, brief, and, and infrequent. And again, we've always learned about exercise from people who like to exercise. And if you like to exercise, you generally tell people exercise more. Mm-hmm. And the research just does not say that that is beneficial. That's been the hardest habit for me to break because I want to exercise every day. <laughs> Yeah. And and I think that there is, there's maybe a caveat to all of that, that there is a mental uh, psychological component of exercise, a benefit that we get from exercising. Uh And so, well, doing it every day is such a psychological lift for me. Can I do it more often? We could say, yeah, for psychological lift, we could probably do it more frequently. But for most of the other reasons that we exercise, we just don't need to do it very much. And I think we've been almost guilted into thinking if I'm not doing it regularly, five to seven days a week, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's mm-hmm. just not the case. It can be done in a more palatable way than we ever than we ever assumed. And in fact, we've probably mistakenly championed people who are exercising all the time saying that's the model. And I don't think that's the model. I think uh, our goal should be to get in better shape to experience the benefits of exercise, our goal shouldn't be to see how much exercise we can possibly tolerate or or we can possibly do. Right on. What about the, you know, I want to kind of transition and talking through the, the big pivot that you had made as an organization. And I wanted you to speak to for for those uh, of you that that are you know in this uh, realm of you know uncertainty, obviously we're all in uncertainty. But you made a decision, Luke. You made a decision that day 
that you had to cl- you know close your doors to become a virtual company. Can you walk us through your mindset and and how did you just know this is what needed to happen and and really the the tools or the the method that you decided yes this is the right decision and we're just we're going for it. Sure. Yeah. Great question. So, so it's Monday night, March uh, 16th, I think maybe the 17th. Yeah. 16th. And we're open all day long. And frankly, I'm on a call with my leadership team at about 2 PM. And I say, guys, I think we need to close our studios. I think we need to make the decision to practically close our studios. So I record a video to all of our clients that we're closing our studios. We send that video out. The video goes out like 15 minutes after the governor says, Hey, all gyms are closed down anyways. So Governor Walls beat us to it. We were going to get closed down no matter what. So that's Monday night. We communicated to all of our staff. We have about 45, 50 employees. And I just said, everyone take the day off tomorrow. Um, Just hang loose. We're going to communicate with you tomorrow, kind of what our go forward plan is. I spent Tuesday, the next day, meeting with my leadership team basically all day. And we talked about all, we had all the conversations every other entrepreneur, every other small business is having, right? Uh, how we preserve cash. What's our cash position look like? Um, how do we, first of all, how long are we going to be shut down for? What's our plan going forward? What do our leases look like? We had that conversation and we met for hours and hours and hours. And I felt really confident we were having the right discussions. And that night, I sent a text message to my leadership team and I said, Hey, can you guys jump on a call tonight yet? And it wasn't something I wanted to communicate via text or Slack. I really wanted to get on a call with them and, and actually be able to look at them. So not a call, but actually a zoom. And I said, uh, this is now Tuesday night after we've met basically all day. I said, when we wake up tomorrow morning, we are a virtual personal training company. Now we had talked about virtual personal training during the day. That's something we could do. We had all these different ideas of how we could provide value to the customer. And one of them was we could do some virtual personal training. And I said, we're not going to do some virtual personal training. We're not going to dip a toe in the water. We're going to burn the ships and we are moving forward as a virtual personal training company. So tomorrow morning when we wake up, we are the leadership team of a virtual personal training company. Every decision we make is what would the best virtual personal training company in the world do? That's how we have to move forward. And so then we communicated that with the rest of our team that next day. And let me tell you, I have so many colleagues and great friends around the country that have similar businesses to ours. And they didn't make that pivot. They said, we'll do some virtual personal training, but they didn't go all in on it. We had to go all in on it. So let me just give you a few numbers. So for us, the big metric, the big KPI is workouts, right? We do one-on-one and small group workouts. So the number of workouts is a, is a key KPI. Um, so we did about 1,600 to 1,650 workouts in one week before we closed down. Well, we're closed down for a week and we basically do zero workouts. So we launched Monday the next week with our virtual And we said, let's have a goal of just sprinting to getting to 900 workouts in a week. So we eclipsed 900. And then we made a new goal of 1,223. And the EOS implementer that we've worked with for years said, instead of having a rock, we're going to have a 30-day rock. Instead of a 90-day rock, it would turn to 30 days. So we set the first 30-day rock. And that 30-day rock was, can we get to 1,223? And we eclipsed it. Now we're focused on a 30-day rock of just May. Can we get to 1,400 workouts? And we did uh, 1,266, I think, last week. And so 
we've really been able to grow the virtual training business where we're, you know, we're close to 85% of what our current volume was. Now, why were we able to make that pivot? Well, one reason is we made the choice that we're going to pivot. We're going to go all in on virtual. I think the other reason is we've always sold interaction with an expert. We've never sold access to a facility. So I have so many wonderful friends and colleagues all around the world that own and operate health clubs. I'm on the board of directors for the International Health Club Association. I love health clubs. I'm a member at Lifetime Fitness. Like I'm into health clubs, but health clubs have always sold access. As soon as access is denied, the consumer no longer looks at the health club as a valuable resource. And we have never sold access. We've always sold access to or interaction with an expert. And so I I look at it like uh, my sister-in-law is a physician. She's done some telemedicine over the last couple of months. She can still work with you. She can still do a diagnosis because she is an expert and you're purchasing her expertise. So that's what we wanted to do. Now, let's be clear. A lot of companies in our space made a switch to virtual I think they missed the most important component. Most of the virtual we've seen worldwide is the consumer streaming or watching an instructor lead a class of some kind. So I'm sitting back and I'm watching a really fit person do a workout and I'm trying to follow them. Well, the scientific literature is very clear. That's not what we need. What we actually need is we need that person to watch us. We don't need to watch them. They need to watch us. They need to watch us and give us feedback and coaching. And so I think, again, about my sister-in-law who's a physician. If she's going to do a a diagnosis with you, she needs to look at you. She needs to visually see you. You don't need to see her. And somehow in the fitness space, we've got it backwards. We're following fit people and watching them work out rather than having that person watch us work out and give us performance-related feedback. So that's uh, that's been our focus is can our expert educated instructor observe you working out and give you the meaningful feedback to make that workout more productive. And the preponderance of scientific literature clearly says the most important, uh, the most important controllable variable of the results we see from our exercise is, is someone directly watching me work out? And that's true for 20 year old college football players and 60 year old type two diabetics and everything in between that direct supervision is really the foundation. So that was uh, our pivot, um, and uh, it's, it's been uh, a really interesting couple months. Luke, one of the other things that really struck me was the other day when I was working out with one of Discover Strength's personal trainers, she said something that got me just to stop my tra- strap in my tracks and say, Wow. She said that your company culture is stronger now than it ever was before COVID-19. How have you done that? Yeah, that's, that's a great comment. Thank you for sharing that with me. Well, one of the things that we did, and I should just mention this, by the way, is when we had this initial discussion and I had that phone call with my leadership team that we're going to make a pivot, I said, and this is, I think, only interesting because you have so many EOS companies in your listenership is we said we can make this pivot and still stay in our strategic niche and still play to our three uniques. And like 
we're not just kind of into EOS. We are obsessed with EOS. Like I have a, a tattoo of Gino Wickman's face on my lower back. Okay. That's not actually true, but like, we're I tell re- you, I just spoke with, uh, I just spoke with Kelly Knight, their integrator this morning. Oh, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so, so I am into EOS. We're obsessed with it. And so I said, well, we can stay within our strategic niche, which is personalized strength training, and we can still play to our three uniques. So this is a pivot, but it's a pivot that allows us to continue to play to our strengths. So that was conviction that, yes, this is the right pivot for us. We don't need to get outside of the niche. In terms of the culture, our EOS implementer ran just a fantastic quarterly with us and said, for us to get out of this, what do we need? We need our customers to be in place and we need our staff to be in place. Like we need, as we move through this COVID season, we need the right people in the right seats. And that's always the case, but it's probably more true than ever. And I've spent the last 14 years, Laura, every time I do an interview, we start the interview process out with a group interview. 14 years, the first thing I talk about is the first who, then what principle, popularized by Jim Collins. So Jim Collins said, the most important discovery he made in all of the built to last and the good, uh, the good research was this. Companies that place a disproportionate emphasis on who rather than what, meaning the strategy and the tactics, produce better long-term bottom, uh, bottom line performance than the companies that put strategy and tactics first. Now, when he wrote the book, people, smart people everywhere read it and said, okay, first who then what? you got to have really good people. We get it. And Colin said, no, you don't get it. That's not what I'm saying. I am not saying you need to have good people. That's not groundbreaking. We've always known that. What my research said is the companies that put who before what outperform the companies that put what before who. So I've told this story in so much detail at the start of every group interview for literally 14 years ago. I mean, literally 14 years ago to this day, I'm giving this interview to all these candidates before the company had ever opened because I was just obsessed with first two, then what? And so we created a 30-day rock called first two. We need to identify the right people in the right seats, and we need to communicate to them that they're valued. And then I deployed 20 specific tactics that we're going to allow us to retain those people. And some of them, Laura, were really foundational and really important. And some of them were just fun. But I needed to look at a list of 20 things to say, this is how we're going to take care of the who. If we have the right who and we take care of the who, we can handle any what. I mean, we're going to charge into this tumultuous, dark uh, economic climate that lies ahead as long as we have the right who. So that was the 30-day rock. And I think that really lent itself to strengthening the culture. Now, the culture is what? It's the core values being mechanized and institutionalized. And we made sure we were talking about core values every single day. I mean, we always said in our quarterly state of the company meetings, core values are give us the reason to fight, the reason to endure. Uh, Jim Collins famously says um, it wasn't strategic. It was values that give a a built-to-last company the reason to fight. And I've given that speech in in our quarterly state of the company meeting, you know, for seven years straight every quarter. And now I said, now we have that opportunity to fight right now. Will we show up and will we fight for the core values? And so that is part of driving the culture and then all of the who decisions we made. And if it's okay with you, Laura, I'd love to share just a couple of the tactical who decisions that we made. You read my mind. Thank you. 
So really simple. The first thing I did is I called all 45 of our employees. I got on a Zoom with them, looked right at them and shared three things with them. Number one, I said, I just want you to understand that we did a whiteboard exercise as a leadership team. We said, who do we need on this team to rebuild the organization as we move through COVID and we get on the other side of COVID? We know we're going to need the right people. Your name was on the top of that list. We're going to build this company around you. We are going through so much uncertainty, and it's very normal that you could feel like you're lost in the shuffle right now, Laura. I want to tell you that we have a bright future ahead of us, and you are a key to that bright future. We think you have a bright future here, and I want you to hear that from me, Laura. We're going to build around you. That was number one. Number two is, Laura, do you have any questions about your compensation? Week in and week out, like everyone listening to your podcast, we changed compensation. We had to cut salaries first. Oh, now we know we're going to get PP. We're going to, we're going to make you whole. Okay, do we need to do furloughs? Fortunately, we didn't have to do any furloughs, any layoffs, et cetera. Everyone's been made whole. But we wanted to communicate week in and week out those changes to compensation. And, and compensation is like oxygen, right? If you don't understand how you're getting compensated, you can't focus. This can't is like oxygen. Either. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. You can't focus on vision and purpose and customers unless you have oxygen first. So I said, do you have any questions about your compensation? That was number two. And number three was, what can I start, stop, or continue doing to serve you better during this time? And I did that brief phone call. It literally took no more than 10 minutes staring at every employee in the company um, during the first two weeks that we were shut down. That was the first thing I did. Now, a second thing I did is we took our 12 most veteran employees and we just said, where do you want dinner from? Your favorite restaurant that's still doing takeout. What do you and your spouse and your kids, if you have kids, want for dinner? I am personally going to call and order that meal for you, drive and pick it up and deliver it to your home and set it on your doorstep so you can have dinner. And I didn't want to delegate this. I didn't want my assistant to do this, which would have been very easy to do. I drove all around the Twin Cities. It's a miracle I didn't gain 15 pounds because I had so much amazing food in my car for a couple of weeks. Now, that is not a foundationally important thing to do, but it was just a small way for me to show love and to, be, to show up as a servant leader to our staff. The next thing we did is we picked one movie, and we're still doing this, every week of the shutdown, we picked a movie of the week. So I knew right away that as we went into this crisis, people were going to be surrounded by media and social media and the panic and stress of their families. And I said, we move in the direction of our dominant thoughts. So we need to be nourishing ourselves with the right thoughts, right? So we picked a movie every week. So early on, it was the theory of everything. And then we did Pursuit of Happiness. And I think we did Braveheart. And we just went one movie at a time that was going to fill you with the right thoughts. So it was inspirational. It was educational. Maybe it was a documentary. Um, one week at a time. And then you, as, as your location, your team, your department, you met late in that week and put, put aside 45 minutes and just discussed what did we learn in this movie, how is it shaping us right now? I want people six months from now to look back at this time and say, didn't you guys panic? Were you stressed out? And I want one of my young trainers to say, you know, we really weren't that panicked because all we were doing was talking about all these damn movies we were watching and they were really healthy and we were, we were watching movies. We just watched the movie, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, a true story uh, in Africa about a kid builds this windmill and, and brings water to his entire, just unbelievable stories. And so we wanted to fuel people 
with the right thoughts because that was going to, you know, your thoughts uh, uh, really precede how you're going to behave, how you're going to show up. So those are a few of the tactical things that we did. Like I just said, we came up with 20 that we could point to. Those were just a few. Oh, thank you for sharing because that gives, and that's what I love so much is, is, is people can say these great things about, oh, well, this, you know, we, 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 we certainly have a great culture and they don't tell the, the how, how do they create it? And for you to share those very specific examples um, is very appreciated. And you know, as we, as we wrap up our time together, Luke, what you know, kind of parting advice do you have for other business leaders right now who might not be you know, in the same spot that you are mentally? Yeah. I think the most important thing right now is when you go through a crisis, when you go through a storm, is our natural tendency to go internal. We start focusing or thinking about ourselves, and that is natural, and it's human, and it's okay. But in order to weather the storm, in order for us to lead our businesses out of this, we have to go external in our thinking. We have to think about the customer. We have to think about how we can provide value for our customer or our potential customer. Right now, we are witnessing worldwide brands going completely radio silent and not connecting with their customer. And I'm not talking about the email that says, we are monitoring the COVID-19 situation or hearts and prayers. I'm not talking about that. Think about this. Think about everywhere you spend money. In the last two months, all the places you spend money, which one of those brands has reached out to you and said, thank you. We appreciate your business. We're closed down now, but we're going to be back brands, vendors, who has reached out to you with that communication? I'm telling you, I get my hair cut at this uh, salon and I've gone there forever. And embarrassingly, two weeks ago, they told me, Luke, you are our single highest revenue customer two years ago. And I thought, wow, that's embarrassing. I get a haircut every seven days. And this is really embarrassing, but I get an eyebrow wax every 14 days. Like I'm there all the time. And I said, okay, this is weird. I spend a lot of money here. They closed down nine weeks ago. I haven't heard a thing from them, not a text, not a phone call, not a postcard in the mail, nothing. Well, I told this story to a group of executives just last week. And one guy gave me really tough feedback. And he said, you sound really selfish and pompous that they weren't reaching out to you. Luke, you have to be respectful that they're going through a crisis. And I said, buddy, I must have not done a good job communicating here. The whole point is they are going through a crisis. And the only way they will get through the crisis is with their customers. So they have to turn and be customer focused. They have to turn and say, you have been in our top 20% of highest revenue customers. We are here for you. We're going to take care for you. How can we help solve your problems? We're going to be with you as we transition out of this. We can't get through this without customers. So in this time of crisis, think less about what you sell and think more about the relationship with the customer. If the relationship with the customer is intact, and it's strong, you can pivot and sell virtually anything, but that relationship has to be there. And I'm telling you, it's part of our nature to go internal and become selfish. And that's the opposite of what we need to do. And we're witnessing it right now. Brands worldwide are becoming selfish and we're, we're getting this radio silence. So connect with your customers and say thank you. So well said, Luke. So well said. I do have four more questions for you. It's our lightning round. We, we always have to end with our lightning round, okay? Yeah, fantastic.
What is a book that you've read in the last three years that you most recommend to others? This is tough because I read, I read so many books. Um, I'll go Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. Danny Meyer is uh, my favorite, you know, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, restauranteur in New York City. And the book is uh, one of the best business books and customer service, customer experience, hospitality books that I've ever read. And it is beautifully written, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. What is your favorite app and why? Slack. I just think it, it's conducive to just great communication for teams and, and uh, work environments. It's also culture building, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What's a fun fact people would never guess about you? Well, I get my eyebrows waxed every 14 <laughs> days in a non-COVID uh, period. Yes. <laughs> Do you have a morning routine? Yeah. So morning routine is, is always the same. I, I wake up, I write in a gratitude journal, five minute journal. Um, I use headspace as a, as a meditation practice and I rarely, if ever miss that. And I make my bed and I cannot move on with the rest of my day. If my bed is not made, I rather be late for whatever my commitment is and have my bed made. So it's, it's, I've studied some wonderful leaders and, and, um, People I look up to in their morning routines are two hours of lo- long of all these different things. For me, it's I'm a gratitude journal, I'm meditating briefly, I'm making my bed, and then the day starts. Thank you for sharing, Luke. Truly appreciate your time. And we'll, uh, we'll be cheering you on as, as we get through, get through this time. It's my pleasure, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on Core Talent Connects. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app and share this episode with a friend or colleague. Hi, I'm Laura King from Core Talent. I'd like to invite you to visit coretalent.com to learn more about how Core Talent accelerates business growth through people. That's C-O-R-T-A-L-E-N-T.com. And if you're interested in having me speak on a panel or at your next event about the evolution of recruiting, modern workplace culture, retention, or employee engagement, please drop me a note at lking at coretalent.com or ping me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.